you've also got to think like the more that we can take the shame out of sex and out of kinks and most people have some kind of fantasy or something that they'd want to act mm. so it's you know as much as we can take the shame out of that and have people have those conversations I think it make the world a better place and we'd all be having more orgasms so <laughs> <laughs> I totally agree with you Karen Taylor. Uh, thank you so much for joining in. Um, I'm here today with one of my really good friends, Red Wired. I uh, met Red through the Strong Woman community and um, we became friends pretty quickly and we've um, had quite a journey in our own friendship over the years um, and it's a privilege to have her on All Things To Be today, um, especially with where the season has gone um, in regards to mental health and raising more awareness to mental health as well. So um, a privilege to have you on today and thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. And <laughs> who are you? <laughs> who the fuck is Red Yes. <laughs> so, so my name is Red. Um, you know, some people know that as an alias. Some people think it's my real name and we'll just leave it there. Um, <laughs> I live in Brisbane. Um, I'm a registered nurse. So that's what I do for a living. Um, as you said, we met through Strong Woman. So I uh, compete in, in Strong Woman and um, have done a few international comps and comps in Australia. Um, I am in the Army Reserves as a nursing officer. Um, I love getting outdoors, my fitness, my hiking. Um, I'm a very body positive woman, you know. So I think uh, over the last couple of years, especially since starting Strong Woman, um, you know, I've learned a lot of things about like appreciating your body, what it can do and all that rather than number on the scale, so to speak. Um, what else? you like to know about me, Karen? We'll uh, delve a little bit deeper. <laughs> that's the basics, I guess. Yeah. Uh, no, that's great. You are um, a lot more than, um, I suppose, what people probably think of you. And I think a lot of people, when they do see you, your, you know, your Instagram handle is Red Delicious Strong Woman. And mm. that does give, give the uh, innuendo that you are very focused on your strong woman. But you are many faces outside of that. And um, over the years, I've got to know a lot more about you. I, I, I guess, like, yeah, probably starting there. You're into music as well, which a lot of people would oh, yeah. be aware of. Um, and so, mm. like, you know, if I post anything to do with um, my music, it's like, oh, you're a woman of many talents. And it's just that I don't always choose to share every single part of my life on the internet. So, um, yeah, music yeah. music is such a is such a big part of of who I am too, because my dad, he's a professional musician. My mum, she sings in the, uh, in the church choir and also in another like seniors <laughs> choir in Sydney. I know, so daggy, right? And I went to a um, performing arts high school um, in Sydney. And so music was a huge part of me, like growing up in high school. My parents kind of forced me into playing piano, clarinet, saxophone, the oboe. I played in multiple wind ensembles um, outside of school as well as in school. Then when I left uh, year 12, I, I joined um, the Army Reserves as a musician uh, when, when I first joined and also played in um, the Sydney Youth Orchestra. So it's like music has been a huge part of my life. Again, like you, I don't share a lot of that stuff 
um, on, on my social media, but um, it, it is a part of my life still. Yeah. Massive. Yeah. So yeah. So music's a huge, like a huge part of your life um, as well as like the outdoors and going hiking. It's not just strong woman. Um, you're really outdoorsy, love going on adventures. Um, you're pretty much, if you're not in the gym on the weekends, you find you in the mountains. Um, so tell me a bit about yeah. Yeah, so I feel like hiking is such a big part of my self-care. You know, I do have quite a stressful job and being an empath, um, working in the mental health space as a nurse, I, I give a lot of my energy to other people and sometimes that can really suck you dry. So I feel like being out, out in nature and um, like reconnecting, this sounds like really airy-fairy, but like being around Mother Earth and all the <laughs> like the beautiful things that are outdoors, like fresh air, you know, the mountains, green trees, green grass, like a blue sky, the sunshine, all of those like really little things can just help boost your mood. And so um, I went for a hike on Saturday um, to this place called Mount Maroon, which is about a two hour drive from Brisbane. And um, I joined this hiking group like last year um, during COVID. I, you know, the gyms were shut. I I still had like a training space at home in my garage, but I just needed to move my body. And um, a friend of mine introduced me to this group and went along to the couple of hikes that they were doing. And I just made some really good friends. And they usually organize um, once a month, like a really big hike around Southeast Queensland or Northern New South Wales. And I just, it filled my cup so much to go and do that on the weekend because it had been a few months since I'd actually done that because I'd been really, really quite busy with uni and being away with the military and stuff. So um, I'm so glad I went and I'm already planning the next one in two weeks. <laughs> That's so good. That's so good. Mm. It just goes to show too, doesn't it? Like how important community is with that sort of thing. Like, you know, we mm. are very fortunate and we have been very fortunate to have such an amazing community in lifting. Um, but when COVID happened, that really was one of the things that challenged I think a lot of us was having that community taken away um even just like not being able to go to comps and see everyone like I remember the first comp that I went to um after like the first lockdown and just to like see everyone I was it was like a breath of fresh air that was like a breath of fresh air to me just being around people and like yelling (laughs) Mm. for people again and just you know doing that kind of thing and I think it just goes to show how important, like, you know, um, watering the plants, like, outside of our, um, our, I guess, like, our main sport, like, watering those plants. And I've talked about it before, but making sure that we're not just, you know, tending to this one plant because when that, you know, if that's all we're tending to and that gets, you know, dry or or, or dies, um, which is kind of what happened, I guess, in a way, mm. um, strongman, um, we were just literally, it was all just taken away from us. And so we had to kind of find these other avenues outside of that community to be able to water and to be able to actually allow ourselves to get our cups filled. Well, that's right. They say you don't want to put all your eggs in the one basket. And I think people, um, you know, everybody at least has a hobby or two that they like, but I think I have, you know, quite a few hobbies that I do like quite regularly, like my music and my fitness and the hiking and, you know, just playing roller derby, going for a skate, um, you know, I like my arts and crafts, um, just lots of random shit like that, you know. And if you put all your eggs in one basket and one of those things stop happening for you, you just lose yourself and 
you know, you shouldn't define yourself by that one thing, like being a strong woman or, you know, a power lifter or something. It's, it's really quite good to have a lot of different things that challenge your mind and your body. I remember when, you know, I was sort of getting really into social media as a lifter and I had like my bio as like strong woman and like power lifter or whatever. And I was like, I'm so much more than those things. Like I'm so much mm-hmm. more than just a lifter. And I remember my myotherapist, he said to me one time that he was at a meeting and he had to go around the room and introduce yourself and everyone was you know like hi I'm so and so I'm a myotherapist or whatever and he he got up and he kind of just did like the standard talk like that I'm a myotherapist I work for this company da 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 and he went home that day and he thought to himself I'm so much more than just that like I'm a dad I'm a husband I'm a friend I'm a brother like and he just like had this kind of epiphany moment where he realized that outside of his profession he was so many more things and just appreciate who he was uh, and how he showed up in his life in all of those aspects I thought that was really cool Mm. and so again roller derby (laughs) just coming back oh yeah yeah it's uh it's a pretty crazy full contact sport and um when I was living in America, this was back in 2010, um, my housemate that I that was living with me, she um, she was really into it. And I always saw, you know, that movie Whip It with um, Drew Barrymore. I thought, this is so badass. These girls are like smashing bitches off the track. And like, it was you know, pretty, pretty aggressive. And the girls had like their, their war paint across their faces and, you know, mouth guards in with like bite me on the teeth and stuff like that. Um, and I thought, this is next level hectic. So I, I bought um, some roller skates and you know I was like Bambi like falling over all the time and my legs were just going every which way direction um but once I actually started to get pretty confident with skating um I started going on to like beginner classes and it was like level one, two and three, they called it fresh meat. And so the fresh meat was like the brand new skaters that were like trying to get onto a team and you'd have to pass all three levels to get um, onto your, onto your team. And so I played roller derby for about four years um, from when was it? 20, 2014 to 2018, I think it was. And I, and I played internationally. We did a tournament um, over in New Zealand in Wellington. Um, we traveled interstate um, to Adelaide, Sydney, um, up to Cairns. So I played for the Sun State Roller Girls, which is the number one team in Queensland. Wow. And um, yeah, it was, it was a really like, it was a fun time. But um, then when I started to get more into like powerlifting and strong women, I realized that I couldn't, I couldn't do both. And, and obviously while I was um, still at uni, I had a lot more kind of spare time to go to training three times a week with roller derby. Then when I started working full time and doing shift work as a nurse, I was like, I just can't commit to this kind of sport. So when I started concentrating more on my lifting, that when I actually started to excel because it was just like I was narrowing in my focus to to that rather than trying to do both I tell you what trying to do a um powerlifting session after training for three or four hours at roller derby <laughs> the night before yeah with bruises all over your body and re- really tender spots on your legs because you get kicked and pushed and like it was brutal I, I would just be so sore I don't know how I did it for so long yeah. <laughs> tell me about um so uh transitioning then into powerlifting and strong woman so that had always kind of just been like in the background or yeah like- yeah um don't judge me but I used to do crossfit that was like my first <laughs> that was like my first kind of like fitness thing yeah those kipping pull-ups and stuff they're a bit ridiculous <laughs> 
I'm definitely not judging because I've just started polylifting and I'm like, holy yeah. crap, this stuff is so hard. And I'm like, yeah. five kilos every day in the gym, 25 kilos, 25 kilos. And I'm just like, this is still hard. And I have such an appreciation now for it that I just never had before. So no, I'm definitely not judging. But um, yeah, so CrossFit. I, I, I appreciate lots of different strength sports and I, and I, I was like a general gym goer. I used to do like the spin classes and like, you know, the body attack. And I was just such a cardio bunny. I look back now and I'm like, how the hell did I do that? I was just so obsessed with losing weight. And I thought that that was the only way to do it, you know, but then when I started doing CrossFit, I was like, oh, I can lift some weights and I'm actually quite strong. And then I transitioned from CrossFit into powerlifting. And then I um, had done like a few powerlifting comps and I was doing roller derby at the same time. And then in 2017 was when I started Strongman and I'd stopped playing roller derby. Yeah, 2017 was my last year of roller derby. And I thought, I really love strong man, strong woman, but it's so brutal on your body. There's no way I can do both. So then when I started to actually do um, competitions at a higher level, I said, right, that's it. I'm going to retire from roller derby and focus more on doing strong man. And that was when I actually got to compete overseas and stuff because I was like focusing more on that. And just wrapping up your fitness career, what where did you end up ranked? Um, what's your best like what would be your most proud moment or your best ranking um in strong woman um well to compete in the arnold's in south africa you've been there too i think you went the year before i did didn't you <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> um, that was such a cool experience I'm, I'm sure you can attest to that like the south africans are so welcoming um you know being the only australian there um i was welcomed with open arms and because i was traveling by myself i had all these people that were like wanting to take me out to dinner and like hang out and you know before and after the comp they'd be like picking me up from my hotel and just taking me out to bars and stuff because i was i was by myself and um, they just treated me like one of their own. So if, if I ever got an invite to go back to South Africa, I would snap that up in a heartbeat. Um, and I placed second over there. So that was like a huge achievement for me. Um, you know, competing against uh, like women that I had been following on Instagram for ages and then finally got to meet them in person. Um, so, so that's probably like my most like memorable moment. Um, in terms of ranking um, well, in uh, the Australian Strongman Alliance, so the ASA, federation um i've done the nationals uh four times now and i've um placed first in three of those wow. so i'm pretty proud of that yeah um yeah. big achievement is um like doing the record breakers event that was in 2019 um so i still hold the monster dumbbell record for under 82 kilos at 55 kilos um and the <laughs> farmers carry um Farmers carry record 105 kilos per hand for 15 meters. So that's, yeah, I'm pretty happy with those. And it's always good to have, you know, people that challenge them and, you know, um, you know, keep you on your toes to, to keep you progressing as well. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, um, you know, in everything that you've said, it just to me, it sounds like you're in, you're in, like you're pretty dedicated, whatever it is that you decide to do. It's like, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do it well. And then it sort of comes time for it's like fruition. And then you move through into the next thing and then you apply yourself hundred percent to that next thing. 
Oh, I'm such a goal-driven person. And if I don't have something to strive for, I fall off the wagon. Like this is why I had such a difficult time during COVID, um, you know, because all the competitions that I had signed up for were cancelled. I was prepping for the Arnold's in Melbourne. Um, you know, I think I had like a 16-week prep for that. I was the strongest and fitted that, that I'd ever been. And I was like, oh, I could win this or like I'll podium for sure. And I was so, you know, dedicated to doing that because I think the previous year I'd come like sixth and the year before that I'd come fourth on countback like placed third for points but you know due to the other girl coming like a higher placing in another event I got pushed to fourth and I was like right it's my time to shine I'm going to podium and then it was cancelled and then nationals was cancelled and then states was cancelled and all these things were fucking cancelled and I was going to go to Scotland and lift the dinny stones couldn't travel overseas so yeah everything was just like taken from underneath me but instead of complaining and being a pessimist about it look everybody else was in the same boat um but I really lost my way like motivation just fucking went straight downhill didn't it um and so because I didn't have something to plan for and, and strive to achieve I gained weight you know my mindset was like down the gurgler I'd gone through um a lot of grief and loss losing people close to me um and two of them from suicide so that really really messed with my head and I feel like I'm trying to like you know I've come out the other side of that now and you know comps are starting to to pop back up and um you know once I have those things I need to strive for it like it keeps me um keeps me grounded I think and keeps me out of trouble (laughs) definitely I think um definitely it's the same for me I think keeps me out of trouble I think you know, in uh, lockdown um, at the start, we just had no idea what was going to happen. And then as they said, you know, it's going to be six weeks or whatever it was, the first one. Uh, And then, yeah, I was just like drinking. I was going through like a slab like every weekend. And then it became Mm. a slab, like like two slabs in a weekend. And it just got out of, I just had nothing to like, nothing. I just, there was nothing to keep me grounded. Um, There was nothing to focus on. I was just kind of like, well, I'm just going to party. Like we just party. And and you just opened your business and then all the gym shut. So yeah, what a yeah. kick in the gut that was. It was, it was. And it was just like, I kind of almost got too comfortable in like every weekend would just be like written off pretty much. Um, so yeah, I know what you mean. It's so good to have something to work towards and, you know, being able to even for me open up my business again, uh, even though it's been locked down five times. <laughs> Yeah, so you guys are coming out of your fifth lockdown. lockdown, um, With the announcement, it wasn't gyms uh, that were a problem area in the first place, even though we've been locked down as one of the Mm -hmm. businesses to go every time, um, which has been really, really quite a shit show. Um, And for them to say it now, I almost feel like it's a little bit of a kick in the guts. It's like it's nice to, you know, kind of get that recognition that, yeah, we haven't been a problem area, Um, but it's also really devastating because there were so many people who need the gym and who relied on the gym so much for their mental health and then to have that taken away. It's, I mean, there is a huge link between someone's um, mental health and someone's physical activity. So um, when you take one of those away, you take that physical activity away, like the gym's closing, um, people's mental health, um, deteriorates like that is evidence-based research that like tells you you know when people move their bodies they get that release of dopamine and serotonin and they feel good so you know you you remove someone's ability to do that and that's why we had these like huge like mental health crisis and the suicide rate increasing because people were not coping with you know the isolation the loss of social connection um 
it was just, it was huge. And, and like working in that clinical area, I noticed that um, exponentially our admissions were, were a lot more um, the drug and alcohol rehab detox centers had to close down. So people had addictions, um, they couldn't actually get the help that they needed because the, the rehab facility was like, oh, we have to close our doors now. Um, and so more people were coming into the public hospitals, into the mental health uh and, and like no beds and our emergency departments were like overrun and these these poor nurses and stuff that were doing all the COVID tests covered in PPE um just 12 hour shifts and like no breaks and the risk of oh what if I get COVID and it was just such a stressful time all of last year um uh, yeah, yeah. stress to that as well because um several years ago you lost um your ex-partner uh to suicide um which was obviously a huge um a huge loss because you guys you know were still you were still friends um and then last year last year you lost one of your really good friends as well and um mm. and that was just he that was just suicide Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Like with the, with the effects of COVID, I think, um, loss of job, loss of purpose, um, loss of finances, um, relationship struggles, like all these things kind of like compounded, you know, trying to get, um, what he was paying child support and not, not his children and then law and custody and all these things that were like imploding, um, just, it's really like painful to know that someone thinks that ending their own life is um, like the, like the easy way out for them, you know, cause it's like stopping the pain. Um, and I think that was something that I struggled with the most because, you know, he was always someone that um, like I would talk to about like struggles and stuff like that because he knew that I was a mental health nurse and he's like, Oh, I just need to like get some stuff off my chest and, you know, talk to me about these things. But then, feeling like you're a burden to talk to someone and tell them about your problems that that hurts me to think that people think that way and you know one thing I always say to my close friends is I'm here for you like even when I am like under the pump with work or you know I haven't slept very much or I'm on night shifts or whatever it is I would rather someone call me and have a chat than kill themselves like I'm so passionate about that and suicide prevention that um you know it doesn't matter if it's two o'clock in the morning if you are feeling like you are going to harm yourself fucking pick up the phone and give me a call Mm. I think um and I don't know like I mean obviously having been suicidal myself um for a lot of last year (laughs) um Mm. really like it's sad but um like you know, where I'm at right now is like a completely different place. But I know being in that place, it's not, I I would have to probably like in some ways disagree that it's like, it's not that you think it's the easy way out. It's just a way out. Like you just Mm -hmm. want to be out of your own body so much because you're so overwhelmed by the thoughts and like the dissociation as well. So you become so dissociated with yourself. Like I remember just sitting there, like I would just drink beers on my own. I would do like 12 beers on my own and I'd just be like standing at my back door, like smoking and just like staring out into nothing. And I'd, I'd almost be like a little bit psychotic in a sense that I was, um, you know, having conversations with myself Um, and I just felt so dissociated from my body and from who Mm. I am as a person. And I don't really think that it's so much that it's an easy way out. And that's something that I would want to get across to a lot of people is that it's like a lot of people think, you know, oh, you know, how selfish you just took the easy way out. But 
when you're in that moment, you're so disconnected from yourself. Like you don't even feel like you, you are who you are, or you just think everyone's going to be better without you or that, you know, you're more of a, yeah. it's like you, you feel that you're a burden because you already are like so burdened down yourself with like the amount of overthinking and, and the, 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 the darkness that kind of overcomes you when you're, when you're suicidal um, or when you're that depressed is so overwhelming. It's so heavy. And just to try and like carry yourself through every day and like sort of put on a face and be brave and like, you know, show up to the world is fucking exhausting. And so you exhaust yourself to show up and then you get home and you're alone and then you have to face what's going on in your head. And so it either becomes, you know, alcohol, um, sedatives, whatever, just to try and sleep, just to try and escape it. And if you're not sleeping, um, you know, then that can turn you into psychosis, <laughs> psychosis. And then the other thing is having like shitty relationships too, when you're dealing with someone who isn't really, um, seeing you as a person. So you already feel so dissociated with yourself. Um, you know, that you could almost be, you almost feel like you're looking down on yourself like and you're like what the fuck are you doing because i remember times where i would just sit and stare into nothing and i could almost feel that i was like karen what are you doing like wake up but there was just no waking up and i would just be so in this tunnel um of feeling so much hatred for myself and then when you're Mm. in a relationship where somebody is like not acknowledging you as a, even as a person or is treating you badly or is, you know, making you feel like you might as well not be here. Um, I guess that all just like compounds on itself. So mm. I think they do really- say that someone's got, someone's got like a risk status and then a risk state. So their risk status is for example, um, like they might be a single female or something during COVID they're at, they're at a risk status because they're single and female and they're on their own. Um, They might have been like sexually abused or something as a child, you know, that's also like a a risk status because they've got that history of trauma and stuff, but then like their risk state can be interchangeable. So something that would change their, their risk is someone who has maybe had a relationship, um, you know, a struggle with their, or like a death in the family or, um, you know, they lost their job or something. Something that's um, happened in their life that's changed their risk status. So depending on where you kind of sit on that, like you had all these things that were, you know, a turning like against you to, yeah, basically, right. So you've come from that like really, really dark place. And I'm so glad that you're here, Karen. Yeah, I'm so glad that you're here. <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's been great to like, and, you know, I mean, I, I, I haven't listened back to it. I'm almost embarrassed too, but I know the first podcast that I put out in this season um, it really was just talking, like I was just talking out loud and um, it was a little bit disheveled and all over the place. And You um, made me cry. <laughs> and a lot of people were like, fuck, like, why didn't you say anything? And I was like, you know, it wasn't that I didn't have people. I didn't have anyone to say anything to. I remember the night when I actually was like ready. I was just like, I'm out. Like I, I just, I can't, you know, I can't do this anymore. And I wrote, I started writing like a, a letter Uh, and I said, Mm. and I wrote in it, like, please look after my boy. And the minute that those words like hit the paper, I was like, fuck, like I need help. And, um, all I could get Mm. out was I messaged my sister and I just said, I'm, I'm not coping. And, um, Mm. she rang me straight away and she was like, she just knew that I was not 
right? And um, she's like, I'm getting you admitted. And, um, and I said, oh, no, I can't go there. <laughs> I've got clients in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> so something in your mind like tripped you up and you were like, oh, I've got to be here for my PT business. It was almost you know, like, that, that's your why. Yeah, it was weird though because it was almost like when that happened, I was like, oh, it would be more embarrassing to have to call up my clients and say I'm in a psych ward than to have just been dead. Like it was so uh-huh. And I was like, but mm. you know, her just saying I'm getting you an ambulance, um, you know, and, and just that realization of, oh my God, no, I, like I'm not going in an ambulance. Like what? Like I'm fine. I'm fine. And then I was like, almost like protective. I was like, oh. um, but funnily enough that night she rang my ex husband and, um, and he was on his way back from Melbourne and he came and sat with me um, for quite a few hours that night and like, You know, even in that, like it just, it woke me up so much to the fact that, um, you know, even though I felt like such a fucking shit human being, um, I was going through all of the, you know, shit that I'd done, like the mistakes that I'd made and friends that I'd lost and shitty things that I'd done, rather than focusing on the good things that I was doing, I was really in a Mm -hmm. time focusing on the bad things and, um, and the losses that I'd had um, and then to have him there holding me while I just sobbed my heart out um, was like, Oh my God, this man who could literally hate me um, is here with me right now, taking care of me mm. sure that I'm okay. And it was like, it was all of those things. And it took one text to my sister just to say, I'm not coping. And I think that that's the thing that I sort of try and drive home, especially with suicide awareness and prevention is it's that one text because most people won't, Pick, like even with lifeline it's like the last thing that i would have thought to do is call a stranger to tell them that i'm mm, a and have a chat for myself yeah. yeah um yeah sending that and, and like you say like that 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 reaching out part of it is is usually the hardest Harder. single thing to do like i think a lot of people gravitate to me when they like you know have a problem or they're they're going through some some shit because they know that that's what I do for my job. You know, I'm like a counselor and I can, you know, coach people through these difficult times and try and do things like cognitive based therapies or motivational interviewing and just different skills that I've learned through, um, through my nursing that um, that'll sort of like help them get through that hole. But then when I was struggling last year, I was like, I don't, I don't want to tell people that I've been crying on the couch for a week and I've had to take stress leave from work because like, I've just had like a close friend kill himself and I don't know how to deal with his loss. And I was meant to meet him for a coffee the day after that he died to talk. And then I wasn't there for him and I had all this guilt and, you know, like I found it so hard to be vulnerable and, and let people know that like I needed help. So there's no shame in saying, um, that you need help. And I think that's something, you know, I have to stress to people now too. I, I started seeing a psychologist for grief counseling, um, but she's taught me so much more than just, you know, going through my suicide bereavement. She has helped me with, you know, relationships, understanding stuff about my past, my attachment theory, why I tend to go for all these like, you know, um, undesirable partners that lead nowhere. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's, oh, tell me about it. That's a, that's a story and a half. <laughs> I could write a book. Okay. <laughs> I guess coming out of that, so like um, as a segue into, um, you know, talking a little bit about um, your relationships as well. Like I, I've, coming into your like relationship history I guess <laughs> we don't need like mm-hmm. the whole the whole list but <laughs> <laughs> oh, it'd be a never-ending piece of paper 
<laughs> I love that I can joke with you about it. <laughs> um, but obviously, like you have, we can laugh about it now because for both of us going through um, our own, um, yeah, our own therapy have realized that, you know, a lot of our um, childhood and upbringing and things like that have contributed a lot to who we go for as partners and why we're attracted mm. and so attracted to them. Um, yeah. Talk to me a bit about like your sexuality, like your relationships, like what you've experienced since going into therapy um, and sort of where that's led you. Well, I am a very confident and proud bisexual woman. Um, yeah. So I think I, I first, like if I take it back to when I first started, um, you know, like, getting attracted to the opposite sex or the same sex I thought that I was gay when I was a teenager um because I'd actually hooked up with my first girl um and had my first sexual experience with a woman um and it wasn't until like a few years later that um you know I, I started dating men and so I was like really fascinated with with women and um yeah but then I kind of dated a few guys that you know screwed me over, cheated on me, trust issues, communication breakdown. And so then I was like, yeah, men are shit. Like I'm, I'm going to go back to women for a bit. So, you know, I have dated both men and women, but most of my long-term relationships have been with men. Now that sometimes, um, there's a little bit of a little bit of a conflict there because I'm I'm these days I'm very uh, open and upfront and honest with anybody that I date. I say, look, I like I am bisexual. I'm not saying you know, say if I'm dating a guy, I'm not going to say, oh, I'm just going to run off with the first woman that I see. If I'm dating a woman, I'm not going to say, oh, I'm going to run off with the first guy that I see. When I'm committed to someone, they're my person. Yeah. Um, but I also dabble in the polyamory, open relationship, swinging scene. So I think it's really important to be open um, with people when you first start dating, not just to say lay all your cards on the table, but at least to have that conversation um, so that they know what they're getting themselves in for. Like I'm definitely not a, um, you know, monogamous person or, you know, I, I'm not like that, but I'm also not this like crazy sex kinky person. I, I do have some kinks, but um, it's, it's really important that you're open and honest with whoever it is that you're dating. And, and sometimes people can be really scared off by that. And if that's the case, they're not the person for me because I don't want to change who I am and, um, and sort of hide parts of me. If, um, if that freaks them out, like, you know, I have to be my true authentic self. If I'm really going to date someone that's going to be, you know, long-term, they need to know parts of me that could potentially change their mind about me. It's one thing to be like, yeah, in a, um, open relationship and have somebody who's on board with that as opposed to being in a relationship with someone who says that they're okay with it and then they're not, um, which can create a lot of toxicity. But yeah, so tell me a bit about that. Like, how have you found that? Because I know um, you mentioned about like the stigma around like bisexuality. So I'm sure there would be a lot of stigma around, you know, polyamorism as well. Um, and also like, talk to me a bit about mm scene and how you got into that and I'm sure for a lot of people that could also be something that is quite intimidating if you've never sort of walked into that world. 100%. Um, well I used to think it was really funny when I was dating this one guy that um, he thought that was like one of the reasons he he liked me so much because he's like wow you're bisexual this is this means I can have a threesome because you know you're into women and I thought it was so funny because we would go out to gay bars together and you know look at 
the women and be like, what do you think of her? Like, what do you think of her? And, you know, like we had a few threesomes and, and he like thought that it was amazing because he got to have two chicks at once. Yeah. Um, so that's, you know, nothing, nothing new to me. Um, and sometimes when I tell like a guy that, you know, I have, you know, had a few threesomes um, because I'm attracted to both sexes, they get a bit intimidated by that. And they think, oh, I, I'm not like sexually experienced enough for you. Or they feel like, um, you know, like inadequate or in some way. Um, but, but that aside, um, I've also been in like, a monogamous relationship for four years and um, that person knew that I was bisexual when we started dating, but I was so infatuated and in love with him that I never wanted to be with anybody else, man or woman. Um, but then sort of when our relationship was kind of rocky toward the end, I was like, well, what about, you know, we spice it up with, you know, another woman or this or that. And he, his reaction was just like, so negative oh, if you want to be with another woman that's it I'm done like he didn't want to share me didn't want any part of that world so I've kind of had like both ends um with with that um I think these days um I tend to meet people you know, like through friends or you know I'm not on any like dating apps or anything because I I get enough traffic on my Instagram you know <laughs> guys just like slide on in those right? DMs and um <laughs> It, especially <laughs> since I started doing um, the shibari, like the, the Japanese rope bondage. So I only got into that a couple of months ago. Um, my friend Kat, uh, who lives in Sydney, like her and I like, have been friends for about 15 years and um, she always told me about it and I was always really like interested in it, but I'd never really had the opportunity to go and learn about it. And, and she's done like a bunch of classes and like um, not just basic knots, but, you know, suspensions and like ball gags and like all sorts of really crazy shit where people are like literally dangling by one leg up in the air. And, and it can be really quite um, intimidating for someone to see that. Like this is X-rated content um and and the best way to tie is to be like nude or for, for you just to wear like a g-string and like you know just like a crop top or something like that just covering covering your breasts but the rope um bonds better to you when you have um just bare skin yeah so you know i went through a couple of classes while i was in sydney what's yeah. that oh just from what i understand with like um ropes and tying because the whole idea behind like even the ropes it's like the sensuality of the ropes on the skin isn't it Mm, so I normally, <laughs> I normally consider myself like quite a dominant person, um, you know, in real life and sexually. But when I am tied in rope, I am submissive as fuck. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Something about it, like, you know, just makes you feel really, um, really vulnerable. And I was like, holy shit, this person has my attention. This person is like capturing my soul, like, you know, taking me to this other place where it's a little bit painful. It's a little bit pleasurable. Um, you know, the tighter that they do the binds and stuff, you're like, <gasps> like it sort of takes your breath away. Um, it's really hard to explain to someone that, um, like hasn't experienced this or doesn't really like understand that scene. But um, I did a bit of reading about it because I wanted to find out like where it came from. And it's actually been around for ages, but you just don't hear about the places that run classes or that, um, you know, promote it because it is such a taboo thing. Um, like, for example, the, the classes that I've started to go to um, up here in Brisbane, um, you know, this can be Googled. These people have a website. It's called Evil Girls. And so their website is just evilgirlshq.com. And I ended up buying my own ropes because I thought, how the hell am I going to get better at this if I don't have a chance to, to practice? So I got um, six red ropes and six black ropes 
traditionally you would just get like the nude colored ones and you have to get them um, conditioned with like this beeswax. Um, this sort of stuff makes the ropes a little bit softer and it stops them from like peeling and like unraveling. Um, so they're bound really, really, really tightly. But um, if you have unconditioned ropes, it's a lot harder and it hurts your skin when you actually do do the bind. So I paid extra to get them conditioned by the people that I bought them from. And um, I use them for the first time in a class like about two weeks ago. So I learned um, how to do like, it's called a TK, like a, a chest, a chest tie. So I've got a really good friend, a girlfriend of mine from roller derby. Um, she loves being a bunny. So a bunny is the person that gets tied and a rigger is the person that does the tying. Right. So uh, when, I, when, I, when I was in Sydney, I was always the bunny because I went with my friend who was a really good rigger and she was like, I need someone to, to practice on. And I was like, cool, I'll just stand here and let you like tie me up. Like, I'm cool with that. <laughs> and then I, I really liked that. But then I thought, I want to learn how to do it myself. So I've started going to um, beginner classes up here and I've got my friend who comes with me who um, she just likes being the bunny. She's got not, not really any interest in learning, but she's like, yeah, sure, I'll just come along and be your model. So that's really exciting. Yeah. And so I guess like with them, with that scene as well, like, um, you know, it's something that a lot of people probably wouldn't be aware of. Um, and obviously, because I mean, like evil girls is not something that's going to like pop up on your Facebook uh, adverts. Yeah. <laughs> Um, cause I'm going to try and like, you know, hide that stuff because it is X rated. Um, mm -hmm. and I, I think like, I, I've spoken to you before about sort of like parties and stuff that you've gone to, um, which just sounded like pretty wild where, um, <laughs> you know, like, uh, you go to, you know, the, the, like a club and there's certain rooms, like whether, you know, if there's a rope across the door, like you're not allowed to enter, but you can watch if the door's closed, obviously you can't go in. Um, if there's no rope, you can go in and you can like get involved. Um, and yeah, mm. there's stuff like that. Like, I just think that's like, it's something that like personally, um, I don't know. I, I feel like myself, I'm a bit of a hopeless romantic in a sense. I'm never like, I, I, you know, I love sex. Um, and <laughs> so do I, <laughs> well, you know, like, I'm pretty like I, I love like having sex and learning about sex and learning how to be better at sex um and yeah but I've never really like thought about the introduction of having like a third person or um anything like that and I um you know like as far as like kinks go um there's sort of like I guess the partners that I've had it's been a limit and probably more so for an intimidation side of things because um, it's been talked about, but then never acted upon. And so it's like, I'm like, do I bring it up again? Like, you know, I want to try this thing, but like, do, do I bring it up again? Because I don't want to be that person who's like, when are you going to fucking cuff me, bitch? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Um, like, oh, so I can always <laughs> you can, like especially when you start dating someone new and you know you don't uh, want to like blurt out by the way I'm into Japanese rope bondage or by the way I want to be gagged or whatever it is exactly. um you know it, it's like you have to tiptoe around the idea before you actually like bring it up and just like drop yeah. little bombs in like small doses just little bit by little bit and be like oh so what do you think of like you know spanking or you know what do you think of um using butt plugs or something like that and just like slowly <laughs> introduce like you know the little toys that you're going to pull out from the bottom drawer in your bedroom <laughs> yeah because i like open the thing and be like uh this is a chest not just a drawer <laughs> <laughs> i've got this suitcase of shit that yeah. I pull out. <laughs> oh well if you're into that wait until you see this <laughs> 
Um, I guess it can be really intimidating. So I guess that's one one way of looking at it is, you know, introducing it like bit by bit. You wouldn't just, you know, like, you know, I, I joke with one of my friends. I listened to a podcast on um, Girls Gotta Eat where, you know, she was saying about- I love that podcast. <laughs> and she was saying about, you know, like if you were into like rough sex, you're not just going to be like, you know, fucking someone be like, fucking gave it to me. Mm. <laughs> and um, I guess it's the same kind of thing. Like, you know, if you do like to be dominated, um, if you do like certain other things brought into the bedroom, um, paddles, cuffs, whips, like, you know, that's where you sort of start to explore. But again, it comes down to like where you are at with your partner um, and with the person mm. you're with because... Trust, trusting them and like using the consent word and using the boundaries word and having safe words. So if something's like a little bit too much, for example, um, like a spanking, for example, like if someone hits you on a certain part of the ass, it can be very, very pleasurable. If someone hits you too hard on a place where you have nerve endings running through your through your glutes and certain parts um, of your like upper upper thigh like it can be so fucking painful and that can really put you off like that experience but if you talk about what what you like what's the right pressure you know what's too much what's not enough um, and finding that fine line and actually having that conversation before you go straight into it that is so important when you're with like a new sexual partner because how are they meant to know if you like it or not like, I think it's really quite disrespectful when someone goes straight in for the spanking and you're like, um, excuse me, we haven't had that conversation. Yeah, that's <laughs> what I was just going to say. I've actually had it happen twice um, where it's been so awkward and actually, like, really uncomfortable for me because, I mean, I've got better at saying, like, dude, like, are you serious? Like, no, that's not happening. Um, but mm. I had it happen um, once with a guy who hit me in the face. Um, oh, yeah, didn't like a, no, I didn't see it coming. Like we were just making out. Um, I think like I'd fucking gone down on him and then like I came up and next thing he just like whacked me in the face and I was like, What mm. the fuck just happened? Because like there was not, none of that conversation. It was a new guy. It's kind of like a saddest thing. Like, you know, I yeah. think people, if they don't really know what they like, they should do a kink test. So yeah. it's, it takes about five minutes. You can just do it online. I just yeah. type in kink test and, yeah. and ask you all these questions. Like, do you enjoy inflicting pain on people? Yeah. Do you enjoy getting pain inflicted on you? Do you enjoy bossing someone around and telling them to bark like a dog? Do you enjoy tying people up? Do you right. enjoy this, that, the other? And it says, do you like people watching you having sex? Do you like being in a private room? Do you like one person? Do you like multiple people? And, you know, you just answer, you know, on a scale of like very much or like no and then neutral. Yeah, so they can go online and answer all these questions. So like strongly agree um, down to like agree or neutral or don't agree or very much don't agree. Like it's on a, like a spectrum. And you just answer the questions based on, you know, where you sit like on that scale. Um, sorry, um, yeah. have, have, you, have you ever done a kink test? No. So um, I was thinking about more like um, for myself, I was like, yeah, I probably would do one um, to see where I sat on the scale. But I think, yeah, I think it would be important for people to do that. But it's more about the conversation like because even if you don't know or you haven't done a kink test like asking someone if they like to be hit in the face first is probably the start <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. With, like I would go with like you know um do you like being hit in the face because I'm gonna do that or that's something that I'm into or I've seen it on porn and she seems to enjoy it do you enjoy it oh wow 
you know, it's that kind of thing where it's like, it took me so by surprise that I like, I, I pretty much like stopped what we were doing. Um, I, I felt ashamed too. Um, it made me feel really ashamed because I didn't expect it and I'd never been hit in the face before. But if someone had actually said to me, like, do you like this? Or, you know, would you mind if we tried it? Or even to start with like a light slap in the face or something. He literally like punched, put his fist in my face. And I was like, oh yeah. So, and, and I had it another time with another guy who slapped me on the ass and I remember telling me this story and you said it you like got down on one knee because it was so painful like I actually dropped to the floor and mm. I was like oh my god because he hit me so fucking hard and through my mm. clothes too um and it was just like it's such a turn off because like for one like I have a traumatic history so um, obviously when it comes to stuff like that I do want to feel safe with my partner because um I you know I was abused and like if I if someone just hits me um it just brings back all of that so there's no way I'm gonna be like fucking you after that because like I'm now in a trauma state so I think it's so important that we have these conversations and even if it's uncomfortable um like it doesn't it, it's like how uncomfortable is it more uncomfortable to have that conversation or is it more uncomfortable to see a girl on her knees in tears because you've shook her you know um, I, I don't know what's more comfortable for most people but I think the latter Mm-hmm. And it's like if someone takes things like a little bit too far, for example, like pulling your hair, you know, really trying to get into that like really dominant, um, you know, position, like say if they're, you know, you're having sex doggy style or something, someone's like yanking on your hair. Like I don't mind a little bit of a hair pull if it's done like at the base of your neck and it's like in that like pleasure spot. But if someone like yanks the bottom of my ponytail and like fucking race my head back, that's not enjoyable to me. And it's really awkward in the middle of sex going, oh, excuse me, can you just like lay off the hair pulling? Like it just kills yeah. the mood. Yeah, see, I love it when someone like grabs my hair, but like at my scalp and like just- Exactly. That's, that's the, you've got pleasure points in the back of your, the base of your skull. Yeah, the nerves are there, but it's like, if someone's just fucking pulling on my hair, it's like, you know, having like a fucking kid, like pulling on your hair. It's never, it's never fun. That's what like. mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think like, yeah, that, that's such a good thing to take note of is that there are tests online to be able to do that and to, to do a kink test um, to actually see, you know, what you are interested in. But I think just becoming more vulnerable in a sense of having these conversations with people because we're not having them to be awkward or to be like... Um, it like oh we have to sit down and have this conversation at nine o'clock tonight over dinner um but it's mm -hmm. like the, it, opening up those lines of communication because it uh, essentially it is to make sex more pleasurable it's not because you want to make yeah. it awkward like you actually want to you want your partner to be doing to you the things that you like and you want to be doing to them the things that they like so you know it's i think everybody has a kink but people wear masks all the time like if yeah. we take away not just, not just covid masks but i'm talking yeah. about like their sexual deviant mask like you look at someone in the street and go oh they look totally vanilla like the girl next door kind of thing yeah. she probably likes to be you know choked or I don't know what whatever it is everyone's got something but people are scared to talk about it because they're scared of the judgment and other people's opinions and people going oh you must be a porn star or like some skanky hoe because you like something that's a bit out of the norm yeah and I would just say on that note that most of the things you watch on porn are not the things that are like 
the things that women want. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. It's some, there's and some, they don't moan like that either in real life. <laughs> That's the thing. So many guys are so addicted to porn and like what the women seem, like how women seem to be enjoying themselves in porn. And it's like a lot of the time, those are actually not the things that we like to have done to us or that most women would, you know, most women wouldn't climax that way. Um, so I think when it comes to it, it's like, you know, a little bit of education goes a long way. Um, and I think it's important that, you know, we are actually finding out what our partner wants because that girl in the video is not who you're in bed with right now. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, even if that's what she does like, that might not necessarily be what your partner likes. It doesn't mean that it's going to make sex bad. It actually means it's going to make sex better. So mm-hmm. I think just having... But that's that- the thing. So many people do really struggle to communicate that, their wants and their needs. And if they have a different love language, like how they like to show and receive love, um, then you're going to be on different pages. I think, you know, the most successful relationships that I have had, um, the lines of communication have been really clear and, you know, we've made it obvious to each other what we like and don't like. And I think, you know, when you haven't had that conversation and the boundary gets overstepped, it, um, it makes things awkward and then it's too difficult to come back and like address that. And people would rather just leave and pretend some reason why they don't like you anymore rather than have that difficult conversation. Because I think it does induce a lot of shame. And I think shame Mm -hmm. is the thing that we don't talk about enough. I think most people have an underlying level of things that they probably feel a bit ashamed about. And if you're there and you're willing to take away that shame, sometimes that in itself can even be shameful. So, you know, honestly, it comes down to like get into therapy, dudes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> just get them get us get a shrink, get a shrink. <laughs> uh no but seriously it's like you know um a lot of the time when we do react like that most it's usually it's a shame reaction um mm. and you know that might be that it actually pinpoints something that you need to work on within yourself um and it's not about shaming the other person for knowing what they want so i think that that's something- like like you said when you said shame it's like i made the mistake um you know i, I was seeing someone early this year and um like they told me that uh they were like a daddy dom and and i and i started laughing and um and i said oh do you want me to call you daddy and stuff like that and then he got really offended and i I realized that that was really um like the wrong thing to do on my part because you could never you should never shame someone's kinks like if someone likes to have their toes dipped in candle wax and then sucked off like who cares like that's their kink you know you shouldn't laugh about it because that's something that they really really enjoy yeah a hundred percent i think and that's something we all have to learn hey because like at the start you're like oh that's funny but then it's Mm. like if that guy was your partner and you've been dating for two years and then he said hey babe like this is kind of something that I you know would want us to try and you Mm. at him um you know they're not going to want to bring it up again are they bring it up again and they're probably not going to want to bring up anything else that they are into either so you know it's different when it's like somebody you don't know but you've also got to think like the more that we can take the shame out of sex and out of kinks and most people have some kind of fantasy or something that they'd want to act Mm. so it's you know as much as we can take the shame out of that and have people have those conversations i think it makes the world a better place and we'd all be having more orgasms so (laughs) 
I totally agree with you. It was, it was funny because when I actually started sharing some of the like the rope bondage that I was doing and like the Shibari classes that I'd been to, I had quite a few people come out of the woodworks and be like, oh, I found that really interesting. Where did you go to the classes? Can you tell me more about it? What does this mean? Yeah. You know, it looks very kinky and I want to know more about it. So um, I, found, I found that really interesting. People that I would not have expected to be into it at all wanted to know more about it. And that's why I did like a Q and A on my Instagram. Um, I said like, if you have any questions about it, let me know. And um, I'm happy to share my opinion on things. It might not be the same as what other people think, but this is just my experience. People ask me if it hurt, if it was pleasurable, um, you know, how I got into it and uh, uh, like also all sorts of questions. And I said, look, this is just my experience. And if I can share my knowledge and, you know, make people um, have that uh, conversation where it's not uncomfortable, I'd rather educate people than be like this big secret. And then someone kind of stumbles across it and then they don't know what to do. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And that's, um, yeah, it's so, I think such a cool thing nowadays with social media, because, you know, there might be people in the background who are like, cool, like, oh my God, have you seen? And it's just like, do you know what? Like, liberate yourself. I don't give a fuck. I stopped caring long ago. (laughs) Like, liberate yourself. Like, it's just, you know, the world's coming to an end anyway. We're all gonna die. You may as well have some fun doing things anyway. At least getting like the pleasure that we want, you know. (laughs) (laughs) But I reckon, like, yeah, thank you, like, thank you so much for sharing that, and thank you for being just being who you are and being so honest and open. And um, yeah, I really am so thankful because um, yeah, it's just I think important. Like, even as I was waiting just before, um, I had a girl message me on the All Things Taboo page, and she said, you know, thank you so much for what you're doing um, and for putting yourself out there and for the guests that you've had on. She goes, I absolutely love your podcast. Um, and it's helped me through um, what I can only describe as a shit show of a year. And, um, mm. and I'm like, straight away, I'm like, can I have you on? Like, do you want to come on? <laughs> yeah. Because I'm like, you know, the more that people can hear it and the more that people can relay and the more that I can speak to those people, I just think it's opening up so many other avenues where, you know, you don't feel so ashamed. And I think shame is one of the biggest things. Like if anyone, um, you know, follows Brene Brown. Um, she probably, I was just going to bring her up. Brene she probably wouldn't talk about does. sex or kinks in the same way that we do. <laughs> yeah. um, but she is someone who is just trying to um, trying to get rid of this shame thing that we have. You know, we have so much shame around the things that we like and, you know, what she likes and what I like might be very different, but she's so unashamed of who she is and, and what mm-hmm. she's about. And I think that that's, if I can, you know, have any kind of imprint in the world that just allows us to live without shame um and even understanding when we get triggered into a shame spiral um knowing what Mm -hmm. that feels like and knowing how we can go through it and um and learn from it and become better from it it's like if i can you know if i can do that or get people into therapy so they can understand that you know i feel like i've done a good job in the world Uh, She does a really good one on the power of vulnerability as well. So that the one that she did on shame, they made us watch that in our mental health lectures. Um, And then I looked at other videos that she had done and, you know, the the power of vulnerability one, I got so much out of that, just listening to it and and realizing, you know, I, 
like, as I said, especially last year, I had this persona. I am a strong woman in like career, my life, my fitness, whatever. But then being vulnerable was really hard for me because I didn't want to let my guard down and let people see that I was like really hurting and like struggling and having a tough time. But, you know, I stand by what I say now, um, you know, just be truthful, be honest with your true self. And um, it is okay to like to reach out and ask for that help if you need it. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, thank you so much for coming on. And um, yeah, we'll get you on next You're season. Welcome. Yeah, next season I'll get you on and we can talk more about how you progressed with your shibari. <laughs> of course. <laughs> Sounds fun. All right, my love. I'll I'm see. proud of you. I'm I proud of you, you and your podcast you. and all the things you do. I love you. Mwah, mwah, mwah. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Bye.